I want to begin by talking about first what this passage is not. And I do that because uh, this particular story has lent itself to some misinterpretation within um, what you might call liberal or progressive or sometimes maybe uh, mainline um, denominations. And so I know that I've certainly heard um, a, uh, uh, a misinformed um, interpretation of the story. I'm sure I've preached it, um, but I want to just uh, do a little bit of uh, collective education before I move on to the good news of this story, which is around healing. So what is this story not? One of the uh, uh, misunderstandings of this story is that we have sometimes heard, or in my case preached, that this woman, because she was bleeding uh, and because being so made her ritually impure, which I'll come to in a minute, um, there is an understanding in this story that by touching Jesus, this woman makes Jesus impure or unclean and uh, that she defiles him in some way and that uh, the fact that Jesus doesn't worry about this um, means that Jesus doesn't care about Jewish law or Jewish, Jewish purity law. And the, the, uh, that comes out of a very good intention. Because one of the things that we value and love and strive to follow about Jesus is his inclusivity, his welcome, his generosity, how he eats at the tables with outcasts and sinners and people complain about this, you know, and we strive to remind ourselves of this and so welcome into our lives and at our tables people who might likewise be outcast. Uh, and it's, of course, good news for the times when we find ourselves uh, outcast or rejected. But the problem with applying that understanding uh, to that level in this story is that it's, it's based on, an, on a mistaken understanding of Jewish purity law. So I'm going to talk a bit about that now, Jewish purity law. Okay, so first of all, uh, the word purity has some connotations for us. Uh, for me, I find when I hear purity, I think of uh, particularly, a, there's something called purity culture uh, from mostly American in the 90s and onward in which there's really been an emphasis on um, uh, chastity, especially for young people and um, uh, a real, a lot of teachings about, um, especially unfairly directed towards girls and young women about keeping yourself pure or chaste. That's not part of what is meant in Jewish law. So Jewish faith has an understanding about the kind of place or state of being you need to be in or you needed to be in when you went into the temple. Now, Judaism doesn't have a temple anymore. It got destroyed by the Romans uh, about 40 years after Jesus died. But when Jesus was living and um, in his Jewish heritage and faith, Judaism had a temple alongside the synagogue. The synagogue was where and still is where you went to learn and you discussed and you explored the scriptures. Temple was where you went to offer sacrifice. 
So when Jesus is, uh, when he's 40 days old, his parents go to the temple in Jerusalem to offer a pair of pigeons uh, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Uh, so temple worship is part of Jewish religion. Ritual purity is only about what you have to do to prepare to go into the inner sanctum of the temple. Purity, as Judaism understands it, has nothing to do with uh, whether you're a good or bad person, whether you are a sinner or you've been forgiven, which is all of us. Purity is not something you're supposed to walk around in all the time. There's nothing wrong with being impure. It is part of life. Um, and we have the same thing, right? We don't call it that, but if you go out in the field or the yard or the garden, especially this time of year through to about October, you might get a bit dirty. In fact, you probably hope you do because it means you're doing something, you're doing work in there, right? So if you're in the garden, maybe you wear gloves, but if you're planting or you're weeding or you're harvesting, you're, you're assuming you're going to get dirt on you. Um, and that's not a bad thing, right? Because you're in the garden. Dirt is where, the garden is where the dirt should be. So being in the garden and getting dirty is to be expected and it's fine. It's kind of fun, right? Getting your hands in the dirt and feeling the freshness and, you know, smelling the kind of the, the, the smell of growing things on your hands. It's great. But when you come into the house and you're going to prepare a meal or eat a meal, that's when you don't want the dirt, right? So you wash it off your hands or you, you know, you hose yourself down. Um, same thing with purity in Judaism. There are various things that would make you impure. Touching a corpse, like Jesus does in this story, makes you impure. That's fine. You know, he can still go to synagogue. He can still go to someone's house. He can still go out in public and talk with people. He, but if he wants to go in the temple, he has to do a, he has to undergo a ritual to make to prepare him. And that's because the temple is where God lives. So you don't want to just waltz on in to where God is unprepared. Back to this story. This woman is bleeding and presumably she's bleeding from, as, as a menstruating woman would. And she's been bleeding for 12 years, which, oh my gosh, is a heck of a long time to be, to be ill in period. Now, true, a woman bleeding does carry a, an element of ritual impurity. So yes, she can't go into the inner temple and there's certain other activities she can't do, but she can go out in public, touch people, eat with people and just carry on with everyday life as best she can with a condition. So there is nothing wrong with her touching Jesus. That is what I want to bring home. There is nothing wrong with this woman touching Jesus. And when she touches him, she touches, um, uh, the, I like the translation that um, Jeanette read because it said the fringe of his garment. So, so if you've ever seen an observant male Jew and they have, um, they have uh, long fringes or a, a short knotted cord that might be attached to their shirt, that's what she's touching that uh, that fringe that Jesus is wearing. So she touches his fringe 
And he stops and he says, who touched me? She's not scared because she's made him impure. She hasn't. She's scared because maybe she didn't have the right to have his power go out. He feels it. She didn't mean him to. She just, she didn't even try to touch Jesus. She just wanted to touch the fringe of his garment and then maybe she'd be healed and she was. But Jesus feels it and she never meant him to. She never wanted his attention. She didn't want him to look at her. She didn't want to be the center of the spotlight. She didn't want people around her looking at her. She just wanted to be healed and then go home. But Jesus feels the power, he says, go out from him. Oh my gosh. Is she going to be in trouble? Is she, has she somehow depleted him? Has she, has she um, you know, taken away something that, that helped him uh, uh, perform other healings? What has she done? And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And he calls her daughter, just as Jairus came and begged Jesus, please come heal my daughter. This, for one thing, is an indication to us that um, although we know this was a patriarchal society, it doesn't mean women or girls were, were worthless, right? These, this woman is called daughter, the Jairus' daughter is loved by him. Um, and so uh, healing this woman is worthwhile for Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then in verse 50, when they've come to tell Jairus, your daughter's dead, don't bother. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be saved. What do healing and faith and salvation have to do with each other. Because in this story, the words in the Greek that Luke uses for, uh, that we translate as well or saved or healed, it's all the same word. Different verb tenses, but it's the same word. So for Luke, salvation and healing are apparently the same thing. So for one thing, this tells us that healing of the body and healing of the heart, healing of the soul are all connected. They all belong together. And for a religion that sometimes falls into the trap of thinking that, that our faith is only about our soul and, you know, our, our body has nothing to do with the spiritual life. This is a reminder that our God cares very much about the state of our bodies and the pain of our bodies is just as important to God as the pain of our hearts or our minds. So that's one. I think that the connection for us between healing and faith is not necessarily um, a simple math equation like belief plus um, faith equals cure. 
that or that uh, you know a certain kind of prayer will automatically bring the healing we for. I think our faith makes us well. I think our faith saves us. I think our faith heals us in many, many ways. And sometimes, sometimes, thanks be to God, there are miracles like the ending of the bleeding or the raising of this girl. Sometimes there are miracles that where the cancer is in remission, even though no doctor thought it would be. There are miracles in which the bullet just passes through this amazing um, path in the body and misses vital organs. Sometimes there just are miracles that mean that we are given chances or life that we never thought we would. And sometimes, sometimes the healing is not a disappearance of the condition, of the symptoms, of the illness. Sometimes the healing is how we learn to live with, right? So um, in uh, AA, for instance, people who have been sober for decades will still refer to themselves, it will still introduce themselves in the, as an alcoholic because their alcoholism is not gone, but in finding sobriety, they have learned to live with themselves and live with whatever history or pain drove them to the bottle in the first place. Um, anxiety and depression, several mental illnesses, they're, they're never gone, but they're managed. So we live with them in a way that is full of life and healing and possibility in a way we never thought possible in the darkest hours. And sometimes I think our faith makes us well by enabling us to draw closer to God within the pain. And it's not that, that we believe hard enough and so God says, yes, okay, you've hit, the, you've hit the measuring stick, I'm going to send healing. I think it's that our faith, which is trust, helps us, helps us open to God so that the so that the mercy and the love and the comfort that is surrounding us we can actually allow into our hearts and feel and lean into and so the that which we thought unbearable becomes bearable that which we thought was death shows us that there is new life that which we thought was the final ending actually still has surprises so I, I think sometimes the faith, our faith makes us well, not by taking away the difficulty, but by showing us how God is present even within the difficulty in ways we never thought possible. None of that denies the very real pain that we feel in this life, in body, mind, and soul. But the good news and the promise of this story is that even when we think we are not worth Jesus looking at us, even when we think we are not worth God's attention, Jesus will notice us and call us daughter. Jesus will call us son. God will remind us that we are God's beloved child. Even when we think everything has ended and it's not worth calling on God, Jesus will show up anyway and hold out his hand and say, I'm right here. Come back.
Friends, the pain of your lives is felt by God. And are the pain of our lives in no way divorces us from God. Thanks be to God.